and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us exploring ideas and gets us connected. In the last few weeks, Connections has been exploring anti-racism through the lens of the restaurant industry. And today I'm bringing back all our guests for the third week in our series. And the question that we're going to be exploring are what are the best ways to to support black entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry? So we're going to be looking again at anti-racism, but we're going to have it be something that has some concrete ideas. What are the ways... What are the concrete ways to make it happen? How do we support black entrepreneurs doing the good work that they can do and getting the support that we can give them? So to talk about this, um, I have Andre Howell being my co-host. He normally is my guest. Uh, Andre Howell is the vice president of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance. But today I'm shifting you into a new role. You are my co-host today. Welcome, Andre. Thank you, Lori, and I do appreciate the promotion. Uh, I'm glad to be on your show again, this time sitting across from the desk. So uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to having you jump in and ask your good questions. We also have Toby Neiditz, who is thefoodguy.com. That is his website. He's a consultant. He does podcasts that are just amazing, Legends and Lies of Launching a Restaurant Opening. Um, and I just am, uh, I admit I'm a Food Channel junkie, so I love learning about uh, how restaurants open, and I'm looking forward to hearing about all the good things that he consults on to help make restaurants be successful. We also have Chef Adam Randall, who is a owner uh, of restaurants and is looking to open a, a new restaurant in the near future. He is a, a marvelous chef and a great guy. I'm looking forward to having him share his ideas. We also have Mecca Boss, who is a chef and writer. Uh, she also has a podcast, Super Delicious. Her uh, July 7th um, article appeared in the New York Times. She's been in nearly every single one of our local Twin Cities press, and she is an amazing writer. So we have an amazing audience. We always have an amazing audience. We have a terrific (laughs) guest that are going to be sharing some very important ideas. So welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start out with Toby. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and when you do your consulting in looking at, you know, helping a restaurant be successful. There are a lot of people out there, I, I assume, that really think, oh, you know, starting a restaurant's a great idea. Is it? Yeah, wouldn't it be a lot of fun? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've been consulting for a very long time. I grew up in the restaurant business. And most of the work I've done is, have been with uh, independents. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll get somebody who has never been in the business before. And I feel it's my duty to scare the crap out of them so that they don't <laughs> do it. Uh, you know, if I can convince them that they're going to lose all their money, then then that means that they're not ready for it. But if they come back at me and with a lot of passion, I know they'll make it at that point. So then I'll, then I'll lay out plans for them to kind of get over that hump I've never been in the business before and then move forward and, and get the joint open. Uh, when I work with uh, veterans who have done it before, I usually key in on, on specific aspects that they're missing in their team. Uh, it could be just menu development. It could be training. Uh, 
Uh, it could be something as simple as just developing the uh, the software for uh, their POS system. So uh, I do various various projects. Now, I've even dabbled in marketing and and uh, menu design as well. What would you say is the biggest challenge so, in getting that restaurant yeah. started? What what is what's the biggest obstacle? What's the biggest challenge? Well, money is always everybody's biggest challenge uh, in anything in business. Uh, you have to have the money, and you have to have enough money. Uh, the the failure rate of restaurants is primarily due to the fact that people undercapitalize when they get started. They just don't have enough money to keep their doors open for nine months or a year uh, until they develop the trade that's going to really keep them alive. Uh, you know, I was just talking with a friend of mine last night about how amazed I am on how many restaurants are opening now <laughs> during the pandemic. You know, how uh, how many people now are taking a chance with their with their cash or somebody else's cash uh, to get open uh, right in the middle of this thing. So, do you see that, but, the, no, the, that the, the the restaurants that they're starting are different in some way? Well, no, they're they're. Uh, some of them uh, had, no, had plans in, in the works anyway, you know, before mm-hmm. this started, and kind of delayed and, and got their their uh, the process going again finally. But uh, some are brand new. Uh, they're taking over uh, restaurants that have left because they decided they didn't want to stay open anymore, uh, and that's off- that's offering a lot of opportunities to everybody. Uh, to you know anybody who can put money together. Uh, you've got some ready-built restaurants out there ready to go. So it's going to be a lot a lot cheaper to open a restaurant in the next couple of years than it ever has been. So, And that's that's one of the, the like, it, no matter no matter the color of the person, it's always the money. And I've, I've noticed over the years that uh, whenever, now I've never really been involved with a black-owned restaurant. Uh, nobody's come to me with with that project yet, but I do know just, uh, just through conversations in the business that when uh, some black chefs or black uh, managers try to go get money, uh, they've got to bring some white guys with them in order to make it happen. Andre, so, I know you have something. You I be, my guess is you have something to say about that. I do, and I appreciate uh, uh, Toby your perspective on that too, and. I'm struck by the comment that this may be a good opportunity or certainly less capital. Can you speak to that from maybe any experience that you have? Uh, Is this a good time for um, the industry to be advocating for black ownership in general? And I'll just finish this statement and then you can comment. One of the biggest challenges, as you know, is, is capital. You've already said that. And sometimes right. for many uh, black and, and Latinos, et cetera, that has been the, a hindrance for them. So could you speak a little bit more about your thoughts on the good timing sure. and maybe even how the industry can help make it uh, a little bit easier for them, point of entry? Well, you know, making it easier is uh, – that I, that's a magic wand I don't have, unfortunately. Uh, and w- whether it's whether it's a good time or not really depends on where you are in the country. You know, because there are some rest some areas of the country that there's no problems at all. Restaurants aren't closing; they're slowly getting open, but you know, it's pretty status quo. But in major cities like uh, you know, Chicago, Minneapolis, New York, uh, 
Los, Los Angeles, there's a lot of closings going on because we always operate on such thin margins. Uh, for some reason, along the way, the restaurant business has learned to operate with no profit. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, it's a nonprofit business, which you're probably familiar with, Andre. But uh, you know, we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be a, a place where where profit is what we're here for. Uh, now, getting back to to you know the for for people of color to to get that opportunity to open something. Like I said, as I have never really heard or seen it done completely with a black-owned company without some sort of white involvement somewhere, uh, either as a partner or you know, they finally get somebody at a bank to uh, say, okay, we'll take this chance. Uh, you know, there is that, that racial bias at, at banks, and you probably have heard this before, Andre, that uh, sure. when a black guy walks in with a business plan, a white guy walks in with a business plan, pretty equal plans, the white guy's going to get the money, the black guy's going to say, sorry, I, we're not going to take a chance. So, anyway. Good insight. Thank you. Mecca, sure. I know that... I, uh, go ahead. Someone's about to jump in? All right, I'm going to jump uh, in. I was going to jump go, in. Go, go for it. Go for it, Adam. So, um, my experience in opening a restaurant... Um, was just, was very much um, what what you all are speaking to in that um, you know we were an all black uh, owned um, organization um, and we used a local uh, nonprofit and I'm not going to mention any names to to try and get funding um, and ultimately we did get funding but I think the biggest challenge was that we were underfunded you know we went in with a, a very realistic number of uh, quarter of a million dollars and when it came down to it we got less than half of that mm. which was not enough to sustain us and so what we ended up having to do is to go back and ask for more and even when we asked for more it wasn't enough again and so we struggled and we struggled and we we limped along and we had some we had some real successes um the food um was was um was praised for lack of a better term or was really accepted. And I think we, we really hit a, a home run with uh, our quality and our flavor and all of those things. Um, but when it came down to it, the business side of it, there wasn't the capital there to sustain us. Like you were talking about Toby mm -hmm. for that first year, year and a half to really get a strong foothold to be able to grow. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think, when you do get funding, oftentimes it's it's not enough. Um, mm -hmm. They they may take that chance, but um, not really giving you um, the support um, and a good foundation that you truly need in order to get through that first eighteen months to two years uh, to get yourself established. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's there's something wrong about that, and it's not just a black white thing. It's it's an industry model that's wrong uh the financial market looks at us as a good time <laughs> rather than a, a serious business a right. lot of the a lot of the investment that's made to restaurants i call ego investments these are the guys who have a couple hundred thousand you know from stock portfolios or whatever and they're, they're going to invest in a restaurant because now they can sit at the bar with their buddies and say hey i own a piece of this joint yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that's that's how I say a good 75 percent of the restaurants get funded these days uh, with those angel investors 
who some are good, some are great guys and stay with you and, and help you along the way. But some really turn out to be uh, detrimental to the business overall. And those places usually close within about two to three years. So. So how do we change that mindset? If you were, for example, speaking to uh, a group of young, uh, young entrepreneur-minded individuals who aren't exactly sure what they uh, want to do, or uh, better yet, who say, you know what, I've always wanted to own a restaurant, or I've thought about that, et cetera. What are some of the basic ABCs from a acumen standpoint, from a preparation standpoint that, 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 both of you would sort of advise them to do as they prepare uh, prepare themselves for this industry. Well, uh, the, the ABCs really are, are the basics. You've got to have a concept. You have to know what that concept is and be able to articulate it. Uh, you need a business plan that supports that concept and shows people how you're going to operate it and make money at it. And then the third thing, which is that uh, – ethereal thing that I was talking about earlier, and that's the passion to do it all, because you're not going to make money, especially in the first couple of years. You're going to be doing this as a, as, as a passion project for a long time. And Toby, Toby, let me interrupt right. you, because I definitely want to hear from Adam as well. So at some mm-hmm. point, though, based on what you both have told us uh, or suggested, is that there's a disconnect in terms of this mindset that you got to have capital. At what point, as a part as a part of writing the business plan, does this need to sink in? That I really need to to firm up the whole capitalization, or have some I don't know if it's backup or but, but because it seems like from what you were saying to us before, Toby, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that's no. been happening in the industry for some time. So how do we change that, and when do we change that in the mindset of individuals? I'm considering. Um, uh, well, Adam, do you want to? Why don't you speak to like you, you started on what uh, Caribbean Smokehouse kind of went through, and that's kind of what a lot of people go through. Is there's great ideas. Adam had a great business plan, I'm sure, but nobody was willing to take that chance and give him the money he needed. He knew what he needed because he did that research, but nobody gave him the money to do it. And yeah, and I I think um, I think. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head here is doing the research is the most important thing. When I say research, you know, knowing what everything is going to cost. From a chef's point of view, if you've been in, in the industry long enough, you know how to cost out a recipe. You know how to, to cost out your, your to-go um, disposables and all of those things. You can even figure out your labor in general. And 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 be really solid on those things. What when you start really doing your homework, you have to think what is the the liquor license if you're going to sell alcohol. What is the liquor license going to cost? What is the insurance liability? How much does the POS system cost if there isn't one in place? Our POS system was in place and it still cost us seven thousand dollars to get everything upgraded and ready to go. Seven grand. Um, so not just the things that you know, but digging into the, the things that you never think about if you've, you've been running a restaurant or you've been in the restaurant business as a manager or as a, a chef or whatever it is, but every single little detail now comes into place. What does it cost to have a Comcast or, um, 
or direct TV in your property? Do you know that it's based on the occupancy of the building and not really necessarily the occupancy of the only place that has television? <laughs> so our little spot had three TVs just in the bar. Yeah. The max in our bar was about 60 people, but the max in the restaurant was 190 by fire code. Right. Guess what? Charged for the hundred ninety, not for the sixty. Yeah, Comcast are so, pirates. <laughs> That's so, right. So those, all of those details have to come into play. And I can tell you this, Toby, our business plan was rated A plus, A plus. I'm sure it was. Yeah. And still, we were underfunded. Yeah. And, Andre, that's that's the big problem. Uh, there are a lot of guys like Adam out there, black or white, who have got these great business plans. But funding it is always the problem. And a lot of guys, because of their passion, will take the minimal funds like Adam did, say, Amen. okay, let's, we're going to make this work. And then all of a sudden, six months, six, seven months into it, they can't come up with the rent payment. They can't uh, you know, pay off their grocery bill. Uh, they're behind on labor labor uh, payroll. It, uh, for some reason, like I said, the restaurant business has accepted that. We know it's a, it's a business of passion. That's why we do it. We love people. We love cooking. We want to create a party atmosphere every night. But we haven't been able to get the small money involved. There's big money out there. You know, if if I were to put together a concept that would cost a couple of mil and brought a few people on board who kind of had done that before, I, I could probably find a couple of million dollars pretty easily. But finding that hundred and fifty to 200000 that a lot of small guys need, that's the real hard part. And with that, I'm going to take a break. <laughs> that We'll leave it with the, there. there's a lot of challenges out there, and it comes down to how are we going to find the good money in the right spot to support the growth of industry, especially with black entrepreneurs. And in our next segment, I'm going to bring Mecca in. And I know in our last show that she was on, she suggested we needed to tear everything down and build something new. So I want to hear from Mecca what, what some of that new is. So stay with us. Just a short break for a few commercials, and we'll learn more about how to make it work in the restaurant industry and how can we support black entrepreneurs. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. We're talking about anti-racism in the restaurant industry. What are ways that we can start changing the way we do business? What are ways that we can support and invest in black black entrepreneurs and creating new restaurants? What would that look like? And to do that, to have this conversation, we've got some terrific guests. I have Andre Howell, who is the vice president of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance, and he is my co-host today. We have Toby Neiditz, who is uh, foodguy.com. Actually, he's a consultant, and that's his website, foodguy.com. He does podcasts of legends and lies in launching a restaurant. We have Mecca Boss, who is a chef and writer. She also does the podcast Super Delicious, and she has written for just about every uh, newspaper and, and medium here in the Twin Cities. She's a terrific food writer. And we also have Adam Randall, who is a chef and restaurant owner. Welcome to you all. 
Thank you. In this segment, Mecca, I remember at the end of our show, you were saying, you know, the restaurant industry really needs to be dismantled and created anew. Tell me about what, tell me a little bit about your background so that we can let uh, our audience who have not uh, listened to our last shows um, learn a little bit about you. And I'd love to have your ideas. What, what do you see? Yeah, well, like I said, I've been a chef, a line cook, a caterer, a cheesemonger. You know, I've sort of plugged myself into every hole the industry has to offer over the past couple of decades. And also, I've also simultaneously been a uh, food writer throughout that entire career. So I was the food editor of Metro Magazine for about six years and the dining critic for City Pages for about three. And in between that, I've always been a freelance writer. So I've always had a dual career. Um, one of the, one of the reasons for that is because it's very difficult to make a living, um, just doing one or the other. And, you know, I worked in the food business for sort of 20 years and it was difficult to break the $15 an hour barrier. I mean, I spent at least, I would say a decade making $12 an hour. Um, and so, and you know, Toby can tell you that. Um, you know, folks sort of just accept that as the way it is. Like, well, that's just the way it is. And, um, you know, I would have chefs and owners, you know, uh, hire me for jobs 10 years in and, you know, not blink an eye when offering me $12 an hour for my expertise. And so what do I see? I mean, I see, I can tell you that coronavirus, um, you know, made me take a very hard look at what I was doing with my life and the cost. Uh, the cost risk uh, analysis of cost benefit analysis rather of, of my career. And um, I was po- at the, uh, when, when coronavirus hit us really hard, I was, excuse me, I was po- poised to uh, run, run a, a brand new kitchen, um, a new restaurant opening. And I was very, very excited about that. And um, obviously everything fell apart and um, I'll tell you that I wasn't really willing to put myself um, through all of those, all of those risks and all of the, you know, all of the already inherent exhaustion um, and, and, and lack of pay and lack of benefit that, that, that um, the industry inherently has, but then, you know, then layer on top of it, the risk that you're being uh, of, of catching, you know, a deadly disease while you're, trying to run a restaurant. So these are all things I had to look at. And then, of course, you know, then, then you know, enter the movement that we're living in now, which, you know, in my opinion, is a civil rights movement. It's, it's about black rights, but it's about rights for everyone. And, um, you know, we it's caused a lot of upheaval, and we've all had to take a hard look at, you know, whether it's the restaurant industry or whether it's media or whatever industry you want to talk about, you know, we're, we're starting, you know, bad actors are, are being called out and um, the inherent uh, exploitation and the inherent um, human rights abuses that are, that are, um, that are part of the structure of these industries, of these systems that were not set up for, um, for people of color, for women, for black people. And, um, you know, we now have to decide what we're going to do with that. So, I mean, that's what I see. How do we fix it? I mean, that's a much longer, that's a much longer answer. Uh, but those are some of the things that I see. Give me a couple of what you see, what you think might be some answers to be chewing on. Well, we can't, you know, I mean, I think the, the you know, the first thing is we can't try to sweep it under the rug and go back to normal. 
you know, I hear I hear a lot of people talk talking about going back to normal. Like, well, I can't wait till next year when we can go back to normal. Well, if you're really paying attention, you know, next year is not going to be back to anything resembling normal. And the thing about normal is it really wasn't working for a lot of people. So, you know, so so I personally don't want to go back to normal. Um, you know, I was on the phone with yesterday with um, a, a well-known chef and restaurateur who is going to go forth and open his restaurant. And I asked him, I'm going to be writing a story for the magazine, Neil being a local publication um, that came out last year. And it's an actual print uh, publication, so I would encourage everybody to go ahead and um, subscribe to Meal. But we are, I'm writing a, a, a piece for Meal about the future of restaurants and what does a restaurant need to be in order to be relevant uh, in the times we're living in. And so I asked this chef, you know, what are, you know, what are, how, what are you going to do in order to be relevant? And he said, one of the things that they're doing is spending an inordinate amount of time figuring out how they can pay their labor a living wage. And um, he said, you know, when they go to the bank and the bank asks how much, you know, why is, why is the labor so high? He said, you know, because labor means human beings. Labor is humans. And we need our humans who run this restaurant to be able to feed their families. So I think that, you know, we just simply can't go back to normal. We can't go back to paying people $12 an hour in perpetuity. Um, it's just not tenable. And it's in, 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 Beyond that, it's just it isn't right. So, like I say, I think that restaurants, if they want to function in, in in the times we're living in, they need to ask themselves a really hard question, and that is like, why do I? Why why should I exist? You know, I worked for you know, the place that I was going to to work for. Um, you know, we I was going to make twenty two dollars an hour, which you know, at twenty years into my career. Um, First of all, it's almost unheard of in this industry, you know, to for an, an hourly rate at that. But it, it, think about that. 20 years in, it's $22 an hour. You know, it's an unbelievably low rate of pay for um, for a career veteran, and yet that's considered really great in yep. this industry. Yeah. Um, I'm going to interrupt for a second because if you were working out the manufacturing light for GM, uh, you'd, you'd be at like $35 an hour plus all these benefits. So. Sure, sure. And, you know, like I want to I wanna go ahead and give props to the fact that I was getting paid, you know, pretty well for, by industry standards. But, you know, the, the, the individual who ran the, the business said, you know, if, if, I can't do, if I can't do these things, then I don't want to do it at all. And, um, you know, and it, it remains to be seen, you know, whether she can do it that way. Because, again, like, you know, you're, you're pushing against these, you're pushing against uh, the way it's always been or the way that the system is set up. So will it be successful? I don't know. But, you know, you know, my, I guess, again, it, it comes back to my question of, you know, if, why do you want to be in an exploitative business? You know, I think these are yeah. questions we have to ask ourselves. Like, why? Why so, would I want to do that to myself or others? So, Mecca, you, you touched on so many, I think, important things. And one of them was that you're contemplating whether or not you wanted to um, to go back into the business as a result of um, the pandemic. And, of course, we've all read that um, blacks and Latinos in particular are have a higher predisposition to, to uh, contracting the virus. So it might suggest to GMs, franchisees, et cetera, that 
they need to engage a little bit differently or smarter or however you want to say it, especially to their black and brown employees. Can you speak to that? Um, well, well, right. You know, and, and so, so Andre, what you're saying is, you know, when we want to, one of the really interesting facts about um, black and Latinos uh, predisposition towards getting coronavirus is the fact that uh, black and Latino people are more likely to be frontline workers. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the major factors is that, we are working in industries where we don't have the luxury of staying home. Um, and so, you know, I get, I've had this on my social media recently where I get kind of heart sick where I go into a magazine or something and they are using a black model to, um, to advertise for, uh, you know, a, a beer truck or something like that. And it says, you know, we're all in this together. Well, you know, who, who are we? And you know who are we? Who are we doing things for? You know, you're you're driving the beer to the white guy who 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 works who gets to stay home, and mm-hmm. and stay safe. So I mean, you know, this, these are the kinds of questions and these are the kinds of conversations that are coming out of the movement that we're living in. And I'm really glad that we're still having the conversation because if you take a look, you know, you start to see, you know, starting to subside a little bit, and the magazines are kind of going back to their regular stuff. And so, um, so, so. I'm losing my train of thought, Andre, so get me back on track. <laughs> no, you're good. No, no problem. So so it's largely, I think, about empathetic engagement, right, for yeah. a lot of individuals because if I'm a white uh, manager, I may not necessarily understand some of the struggles that uh, – because you had sort of this imperfect storm, right? We had the pandemic and the predisposition or the thought of that for a lot of black and brown individuals. Then you had the George Floyd killing, and and that resulted in a lot of folks, particularly black folks that were in the industry that weren't necessarily feeling a sense of belonging. So it would suggest to me anyway that there has to be a higher level of, of uh, empathy or engagement, et cetera. And I don't know, maybe um, Adam, as a, as a, 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 a black uh, entrepreneur and having maybe some black and brown employees that you may have an example of, you know, I, I'm assuming there may have been a higher sensitivity to you about some of those needs. Did you do anything different in terms of engaging with your employees? It's curious. Um, it, it's an interesting question. And, and I don't, I don't know that I, that I, um, did anything different necessarily directly. I think that I, you know, because of being who I am, I approached, I approached and have always approached everything from my point of view. And so working as a manager, not in my restaurant necessarily, but working as a manager in other um, spaces and being very, very often the only black person in uh, on the team or certainly in the management level, um, I, I think I did not hesitate and won't hesitate to to try and share um, our experience. So one of the things, one of the challenges um, in a restaurant that we opened um, in the Stillwater area, you know, um, most people can tell you that, uh, like Mecca kind of touched on, in the heart of the house, 
85% of the people that are working um, in the heart are brown-skinned or black-skinned uh, or, or Asian uh, folks. Um, and if you get to certain areas um, in our state, um, it's, it's, a, it's a, what's the word, a gauntlet of just driving to work and being concerned about being brown-skinned or black-skinned and mm-hmm. driving through a certain county. Um, and then coming to work. And I have, I have literally had um, more than one employee say, you know what, I got pulled over last night going home, and they harassed me so bad, Chef, I'm not coming back to work. I'm staying in the city because it's easier for me to get around without having to worry about having worked, a, you know, a nine-hour hot shift. Now I'm worried about going too fast or too slow on the highway. And so making people aware of those things, making and talking about our assumptions and how we assume or or carry stereotypes about people of color and trying to beat those back as much as you possibly could without, because, again, you can't come across as the militant. You can't come across as the angry black person mm. because if you do, then that changes the whole dynamic as well. And more than one time, six months later, someone is saying to me, oh, you know what? It's been three and a half years and things have been going well, but it's not really a fit anymore. And so we're going to have to part ways. Well, you know, and, and, and Toby, I got to go. Yeah, <laughs> go to that commercial. Okay. But I want us to hold that thought. Um, and okay. I want to come back. Come and when, when we come back from break, I'm going to let you you be first in um, in asking that question. And I also in our next segment sure. want to talk about some other concrete things um, that need to happen. So stay with us. We look forward to having you join us uh, on the other side of the commercials and learning more about the restaurant industry and what are some concrete things that we can do to make a difference. Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And today we've had our third segment um, that we've been doing on anti-racism and looking at it through the lens of the restaurant industry. And I want to thank everyone who has joined us today. Uh, We have uh, Andre Howell, who is our co-host today. We also have uh, Toby Neiditz, who is foodguy.com. We have Chef Adam Randall, and then we have uh, Mecca Boss, who is a chef and writer and also does a uh, podcast called Super Delicious. And I want to um, thank you for this great conversation. We're turning this into a third three-segment show today because we've had such great conversations. So that was a long set of commercials. Thank you for your patience on that. And um, I wanted to, in this segment, really talk about solutions and um, – Toby, you started to ask a question, so I'm going to let you jump in. But then I'd like to move towards what are some concrete things? Well, it, it's actually towards that direction. Uh, in the podcast that I did with uh, Mecca, we talked about the one single issue that I think is really at the base of all this, and that that this is a white problem. As a, as a white man, I'm the guy who's got to fix this thing. Uh, my black cohorts can show me the way and, and point things out to me that 
may be right or may be wrong. But in order to get them on an equal footing with me or with you know, people like me, I've got to I've got to help them along. I've got to stop what my other white guys are doing so that it becomes a level playing field for everybody. So, Adam, I know well, you got... Oh, go, go for it, Becca. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I guess just one of the things that I jotted down here is just that, you know, um, it's important to remember that, you know, b- b- blackness is not a, man- a monolith. There, there's any way to be black as there are black people in America. So, you know, I think if you're really talking about engaging entrepreneurship, you know, you can talk to individuals. Everybody's got a different story. Everybody's got a different set of needs. Of course, it's money. I mean, you know, money, 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 money. And, you know, for sure, we know that, that, you know, black people are more disenfranchised in this country um, than white people. And we know that we don't have access to money or access to people with money the way that white people do. So we know that much. But yeah, I, I would say also, you know, engage with people and talk to people about what they want or don't want. And I, I also want to circle back a little bit to um, Andre had a question earlier on in the in the show about, you know, whether whether this is exactly the right time to be encouraging black entrepreneurship and restaurants. You know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, are restaurants an asset right now, or are they an, or are they uh, a liability? You know, it, it looks it looks great on the surface to say like. Well, I have to walk away from my restaurant space because um, it's not working for me. Would you like it? But, you know, I think we have to pay attention to the realities there, too. Adam, what's your thoughts? Uh, you know, um, as someone who um, is um, actually uh, taking on the challenge of opening a restaurant here probably in the next 45 days or so, um, uh, considering everything that we're all talking about, the pandemic, um, the 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 uh, the strife that that is happening because of George Floyd being killed, and and the, the multitude of other people who have been killed or hurt um, at the hands of our government um, or whatever entities, um, I still have that thing in me, that burn in me that says, you know what, um, I'm going to try. And I think what we have to do is that we have to think about exactly how you're going to open the restaurant. I think, I think, Mecca, what you're, what you're touching on really is, is it the same, is it the same um, blueprint that it was? eight months ago for opening a restaurant or has the blueprint changed completely? Is it start really, really small, which is what I'm doing. And I, when I say small, we're talking about three employees here. We're talking about a space that's 400 square feet. It's, it's almost a food truck. Um, and going as slow as you possibly can based on our reality, which is where we're sitting in now. Um, I, because this is who I am to a certain extent, I can't imagine not being in the industry in some way, shape, or form. And and one of the gifts that I've been given um, is the gift of of being able to create really good food. And I I cannot imagine not being able to share that with 
anyone who is willing to give it a try. And so I do believe that that it is it's always a huge risk. And I believe the risk is even greater now. And and saying all of that, something in me still says you got to do it. Um, and so and we appreciate that, that passion, Adam. And I'm thinking um, one of the ways for us to be successful is to learn from some of the barriers or mistakes in the past. And Toby, you touched on this. Can you speak to some of those stop doings that you would advocate uh, for, uh, for, for for white people in general that if you were to do less of this, perhaps, you know, some of those barriers wouldn't be as difficult as we, what you touched on before. Toby? Well, uh, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing is uh, stop being a covert racist like I was. You know, I didn't know I was being okay. racist on, with some of the things mm-hmm. that I was doing. Uh, you know, and I had... I had Mecca call me out on a couple of things, and I had Adam call me out on a few things on the podcast because it's things that uh, that white guys l- just learn. It's it's the way we were brought up to think that way about black people. Well, some of it's okay, but some of it's not, and we have to learn what's not because once those things stop happening, the barriers will drop. There there won't be that barrier that uh, that is going to keep the guy out of business. Now, it's not going to happen in my generation, and it probably won't happen in the generation right behind me, but it might in a, you know two or three generations down the road. So I'll be giving you two comments. Thank you for that, Toby. Two comments that uh, I've heard over the years and uh, and like to hear a response to it. When we, when we talk to, particularly in a corporate structure, when we talk to um, – uh, talent acquisition or management about finding more talented people of color. I'm sure none of you have heard this before. We can't find them. That's one comment, and I'd like yeah. to you know, hear your on that. And the second um, uh, comment that we see all the time, well, I'm colorblind. I really don't see color. So I'm just going to leave that on the table <laughs> for someone to respond to both of those. Well, first of all, you know, first of all, I'll take those ones. Okay. The first one, uh, I can't find them. Well, walk into your kitchen. They're probably washing the dishes. They're probably the busboys. You know, they're probably they're probably the line cooks. And um, you know, one of the problems with that is that you know the optics of it because we're so used to seeing um, white guys at. That's at the, at the pinnacle. And, you know, Toby, I've been listening to you talk since the beginning of this, this conversation, and I know it's a bit of a colloquialism, but it's also not an accident. You always say guys. Well, it's guys because oh, it is guys. Sure. It's guys. <laughs> it's always guys. Yeah. And, and furthermore, it's, furthermore it's, um, it's white guys. You know, if you, if you think of a, a chef right now, you're not going to think about somebody who looks like me. But why not? You know, so imagine you're a woman and you're a black woman. So, you know, the people of color are there. They're certainly there. Um, and to the business about colorblindness, um, it's a really hurtful thing for someone to say, because if you're colorblind, then you don't see me. You don't see um, the, the full person that I am, which is a person of color. So that we need to stop saying that altogether. It's, 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 it's wrong and it's rude. I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit. And I would say that someone saying that they are colorblind is, um, fooling themselves because there's no such thing. Um, we, our culture is raised to see color. Um, yeah. I have had people tell me because I'm very fair skinned. I'm, um, I'm biracial, but I'm very fair. I have 
people say, you're not a real black man. And what does that mean? That's from a guy who says, I'm colorblind. So exactly what is it you're trying to say? And, and you, may, you may hear this music coming up because, once again, we're coming to a close too quickly. And, uh, but good, good discussion. Good straight talk on changes that need to get made and more discussion to be had on what does it look like in the future. We'll have a discussion again. Thank you all for being with us today.